0: Hi, tappers! Welcome back to Murder on Tap. We are your hosts, Ali and Jose.
1: What's going on, everybody?
0: Howdy. What? Yes. How's it hanging?
1: It's uh, it's hanging,
0: all right. Whoa. All right. <laughs> Why'd uh, you look at me like that? <laughs> nothing. Well, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for downloading.
1: Thank you for being a friend.
0: Yes, it's officially been a few days since. Um, I've heard that bars and such have opened up, so yep, that's yep. pretty exciting. We have not ventured out yet. Not that like, I'm scared or anything. I just, you know got I got really comfortable with doing my thing at home. Yeah. And saving money, I guess.
1: Plus, we've been busy with parties and... Not parties, but little get
0: together. Yeah, I think that's you know, what it's going to be for most Father's of this year. Father's Father's day, graduation, so. and birthdays, yeah, for sure. It's you know. kind of nice. You know, the backyard party scene is always good. Um, Six feet apart. You know who you're near, and it's mostly family. Oh, yeah. But, yes, absolutely uh, practicing that social distancing still, which is uh interesting.
1: Uh, you know, you do what you got to do. For sure. It's better to be safe than sorry.
0: Absolutely. With that said.
1: With that said let's what
0: jump into our beer.
1: Let's jump into it. Do it. So let me do this first. Yeah. The beer brought to you by me, to all of you. By <laughs> us. By us. <laughs> Is from a Kern River Brewing Company. They are... A brewing company out of Kernville, California. They're a
0: brewing company? Shut
1: up. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, they opened up in 2005. Well, they were established in 2005. The founders were Kyle Smith, Rebecca Giddens, and Eric Giddens.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um... So a little story, this pretty much uh, what I found was stories on the founders, not too much on the beers, I mean on the company this time, but more on the founders, let's give them a little bit of appreciation.
0: Absolutely, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be holding this big beautiful glass of beer in front of me right now.
1: Yep. So, Kyle, one of the founders, was uh, he used to be a firefighter. For the U.S. Forest Service, and he was a home brewer for about 10 years.
0: Firefighters.
1: Firefighters. Mm. You better relax. Who
0: doesn't love a firefighter? You better
1: Sorry. relax. Okay, so a firefighter for 10 years, you know, I mean, a firefighter, and for 10 years he was a home brewer, uh, and then he did his, you know, his thing and collaborated with Eric and Rebecca, and they started a brew pub.
0: But I wonder who Eric and Rebecca were to him. Just like friends?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I think they were just friends. Um, but Eric and Rebecca were Olympic kayakers. What? Yep, and uh, Rebecca went as far a as thing. to win a silver medal in 2004 uh, Athens Olympics. No way. That's yeah. pretty sick. That's pretty rad, bro. Um, so, with a lot of help from friends and family, they turned an old Kernville building into a brew pub, which uh, was known as KRBC, okay. which I'm thinking is Kern River Brewing Company. Oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was opened in 2006, the brew pub. Uh, they said that they wanted. A, their goal was to... Make good beer for good friends and family to enjoy, uh, and also to enjoy it with their good. Just have good vibes and good people around. For sure. That's sweet. I like that. In the valley area where they were at. And, uh, yeah, their brew pub is filled with, like, pictures of uh, Kern River and Southern Sierra landscapes. Okay. Like, it's all over their walls and stuff like that. And uh, their names for their beers, some of their beers, they, they, like, remember that one beer that we did that had, like, they named them because of historical sites and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So this one has Isabella Blonde, which is named for Lake Isabella.
0: Yeah, yeah, Ventura County.
1: Uh, the Classic V-Stout, which is named after the Classic V-Rapids on the Kern River. And the one that we're doing now... Which I will say later, because I have one more note here. That Kern River Brewing Company distributes from far south San Diego to far north San Francisco. Okay. I'm sure it's another uh other areas now, but that's what like they're you know they're west coasting. Okay. So, today's beer. Let's give it a little clink clink cheers cheers that was weak that was kind of weak but oh that's pretty good
0: it is very tasty Mm -hmm.
1: very good so the beer it is called just outstanding ipa and it's named after a local mountain trail in the current area oh yeah
0: what is it called
1: it's called just outstanding oh (laughs) that's the that's the name of the trail (laughs) that's awesome named it after that because it's just outstanding
0: (laughs) that's awesome you
1: are something else (laughs) so this beer is a 6.8 percent alcohol by volume and it says that it's, uh, well, the little thing that it said was that it has strong malt and, and a large hoppy profile. It's made with Simcoe and Amarillo, or Amarillo hops, and has a floral aroma and citrus notes.
0: Yes. You know what? We've had um, quite a few beers lately with the Amarillo. No,
1: with the Simcoe.
0: No, with the Amarillo too, though.
1: No, Amarillo, we probably had one. Oh but well, Simcoe it reminds is, uh, me
0: of that. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, the Simcoe is um yeah, maybe it's the one Simcoe that we've the that stands
0: out. out.
1: But let's get it further without any further ado. Okay. <laughs> and um yeah, let's give it a look. What do you think of the look? Is
0: it's uh it's like a golden orange.
1: A little rusty, maybe.
0: Yeah. Like a
1: Is it hazy at all?
0: Slightly, but not so much.
1: It's a little cloudy. Okay. But not too much. Yeah. Okay. Smell.
0: Um,
1: it does smell like flowers or like earthy stuff, you know? Like, it pine-y definitely maybe. Does
0: have those uh very Flor- mm-hmm.
1: the floral hints.
0: Yes, definitely, but not so much as there is in the taste.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, what do you mean on the taste yet? Oh. You're confusing me. Jeez. Sorry. So, um, yeah, little piney, little floral. Do you smell any fruits?
0: This is a weird one. It's like, it's pungent, but it's not at the same time.
1: It's not like one thing coming at you.
0: No, but it's so like, I don't don't know if this is possible, but it's pungent and subtle at the same time. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Kind of what I just said.
0: Hmm. But it's delicious.
1: It smells like a sweet fruit, though. Some sweet fruit. Like a
0: cantaloupe? Maybe. Maybe like a cantaloupe, not so much like... Mango or anything, but like definitely like 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 mango.
1: Now that you said it, maybe mango. Hmm. Okay, the best part of the beer part—the
0: part that I've been doing the most this whole (laughs) time—the
1: taste. One more cheers. Cheers.
0: It's delicious. It's not too bitter. No, it has like a little hop. Super bitterness. hoppy. It has
1: a little bit of yep, hoppy bitterness.
0: It's like just right.
1: It does taste a little sweet. It does slightly it sweetness.
0: Naturally, it has that. Those you know what of it tastes like? Floral, what? Tell me. Mm. Tell us all. Sort
1: of like a sweet tangerine or something.
0: Interesting. Not the
1: whole thing, but I mean, like I could take, I could get a hint of it. Or maybe not.
0: You know what, now that you say that You know like the taste of shock top?
1: That's what I was thinking about. Yeah.
0: But not that sweet.
1: Yeah, but like a lighter yeah, lighter sweetness. Much
0: better. Not that shock top isn't good. It's it's good, but this no, is this like is more Yeah, this is definitely <laughs> better. Sorry, shock top. Yeah, we'll get
1: to eventually. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Um so yeah. Let me just go ahead and say what... The reviewers wrote. Do tell. Okay. For the look, they didn't give a color. They just said slightly hazy.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Which.
0: I mean, it is. rather a little, little tiny bit,
1: but okay. not like, you know, the most hazy ones that we drink. Or that we've tried. For the smell, they said fruit, pine, lemon rinds.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: Orange juice.
0: Orange juice?
1: Passion fruit.
0: Passion fruit.
1: And piña.
0: Really? Yeah. Interesting.
1: Which would translate to pineapple.
0: It does have the tanginess of pineapple.
1: Maybe that's what I was tasting. Not the tangerine part, but like the... Or maybe I was tasting the orange juice part. Maybe. You
0: know how like that, when you eat a pineapple, it like...
1: Leave that film on your tongue or that Yeah, the feeling.
0: film and the residue and like that just tingly feeling on your tongue. Yeah. That's kind of what you get after yeah. sipping this for a second straight.
1: So now on to the taste. They said it was hoppy. They said it tasted passion fruit.
0: Okay. Mango. I don't know what passion fruit tastes like. I mean, I do, but I don't at the same time.
1: I couldn't tell you what it tastes like because I haven't had one in such a long time. And one of your new fruity favorites. Grapefruit. Grapefruit.
0: Uh (laughs) I was going to say grapefruit earlier, but I was like, maybe I shouldn't this time.
1: Maybe it's not there this time.
0: Not bad, though. It's very good.
1: Very, very good. Let me give you a little description of the can. Well, it came in a 12-ounce can. The four pack was like 9.99. Um it is all brown with like a it looks like a old-timey like western sign maybe.
0: Yeah. It
1: says Kern River Brewing Company. Underneath it is a red what would you call that crimson colored? Yeah. Crimson red colored with white handwritten handwriting it's like in a it. banner. A banner, yeah, there you go, a little banner that says just outstanding in light blue letters is IPA. India Pale
0: Ale. I like it because it's like just random ass font. Just everything is a random font. And yeah, it's just all different fonts slapped on there.
1: And then in the it has a little saying on the side it says the name says it all. Named after a local mi- mountain bike trail, this India Pale Ale balances just enough malt with an abundance of Simcoe and Amarillo hops. I'm saying Amarillo because people probably understand it more than Amarillo. You know. Alright. I'll keep it simple. I understand. Okay, we get it, Allie. You understand a little bit of Spanish.
0: Wow, a little bit.
1: We dry hop it twice, so there are plenty of pine, earth, and floral aromas. Kind of the light kind of like biking through the mountains outside of Kernville. If you like your IPAs hoppy and clean, you'll find this one just outstanding.
0: It certainly is.
1: It is good. I, I really like this. It's I good.
0: do too. I would recommend this to anybody.
1: Yeah, it's 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 not like super light in flavor, but it, it's not like...
0: Too overpowering.
1: Yeah, your regular like IPA bitter beers.
0: Although, if you aren't really an IPA drinker, I don't know if I you like it. I would say those. go for it. I mean, I would say go for it, but I don't know if you like it. But definitely give it a try. It's certainly I'm almost delicious.
1: down to the... Bottom of the can.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm about halfway there.
1: It's okay. We have another two in the fridge. Perfect. Perfect. So, that is my end. I mean, that is my segment of our podcast. Oh. That Ali is going to be fired from pretty soon. Wow. Because of the pandemic.
0: Speak for yourself.
1: (laughs) And, uh, yes, give it a try. I bought this at a small. Well, it's not really small, but it's a little store. I said it's a small and a little.
0: It's not really small, but it's a little. little. (laughs)
1: It's a local, not super well-known beer, wine, slash liquor store. And um, out in, what city would that be in? I don't even know what city that is. It's it's like Sunland and Glen Oaks. Okay.
0: Do you know the name of the place?
1: I forgot it. Wow. It's a big.
0: Now it's big. (laughs) Okay. Make up your mind. Is it? I found this on my way to work
1: at this store that I go once in a while to get gluten beers for you.
0: Yes, which have been pretty damn good.
1: Yeah, and. I
0: mean, they're working out for my digestive tract. That's for sure. There you go.
1: I didn't like them as much.
0: That's okay. But
1: they were okay. And, uh, yeah, like I said, 10 bucks, four pack. The guy said that there were six packs before, but, uh, I don't know. I think they said that they were only able to get fours now. Okay. So give it a try. Let us know. Kern River Brewing Company's just outstanding IPA 6.8 drink it.
0: Outstanding. Thank you, Jose. No, no,
1: just outstanding. Okay,
0: well, that was just outstanding. That was
1: just incredible. Oh, my
0: goodness. Okay, well, All right. thank you. That's, You're welcome. Uh, quite the delicious choice. I like it. And I like, you know, we need to go to these little big local liquor stores.
1: <laughs> little, small, big, huge places.
0: <laughs> because they <laughs> sometimes have these like gems of beers that we have no idea about and it's um it's nice it's nice to come across something different than what we're usually seeing at like our I don't know local Ralph's or Seven Eleven.
1: yeah you're right so check them out it's a local liquor store help them out
0: well, how are they going to know if you have been giving them the name? We'll put
1: it on the. That's Instagram not the point.
0: <laughs> the point is, check out your local liquor stores wherever you reside, because more than half of the time they have some of the best beers, or some like really
1: unknown, one. unknown really ones, unknown ones that
0: you haven't seen, and it's always fine, fine. It's always fun to find um, something new.
1: Something new and good.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, so let's move on to our true crime portion of the segment of the podcast. Okay,
0: okay, Okay. thank you, Jose. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that great introduction.
1: You're welcome. So
0: this week I'm kind of cheating a little bit. Really? Really? Not a little bit, like a lot of it. I remember the first time I heard this story. Well, I mean, obviously, I knew about the story just because it's uh, within like my community, and I knew about it, and I was always curious about it, so I researched it. But the first time I actually heard the story be told was actually on my favorite murder. So that what do you
1: mean, your community?
0: We'll get there. Um, when
1: well, you could just okay, okay. okay we will okay, get okay. there.
0: So aside from that, um, I'm gonna cheat because I you're a found. Well, no, I found this amazing article um, that was um, written by a journalist by the name of Mark Arux for the Los Angeles.
1: All credit goes to him.
0: Yes, for the Los Angeles Magazine, definitely all credit goes straight to him. Because he wrote this wonderfully written article and it's just...
1: It's so good that you couldn't change it up.
0: so good. He wouldn't even want to change it up. He just... He... Mm, he played... He, like, he just... Nailed it. Nailed it and put it right in front of me. And I was like, I'm not even going to bother changing anything. We're going to read straight off of it. So... I know you're familiar with sometimes I buy chicken, like whole chicken, right? Cooked rotisserie chickens from this one location. And, um...
1: No, it's not up the street, is it? What? Is it up the street?
0: No, it's not that one. It's the other place that is like a competition with with the place up the street. But, um... Really? We used to, um, my mom and I used to go there a lot when I was younger, and it was like this little, like, you know, especially in Glendale, it looked like a hole in the wall to me, but they always had amazing chicken. And the one thing that stood out the most was their garlic paste. And it's just, like, very well-known garlic paste. It's, like, sometimes I wouldn't even bother eating the chicken. I would just eat the garlic paste. That sounds really gross, I know. But you won't know until you try So. I've never tried it. Uh, well, not the garlic paste. Yes, you have. I'm pretty sure you've tried the garlic paste. But anyway. Okay. So this is the Zangku. Chicken oh, murders. Oh, Zanku chicken. Yes. Or Zanko chicken murders. Wait, Ko they actually call it
1: that? Zanku chicken murders.
0: Yes, and you'll see why. Obviously. <laughs> Duh! Wow. Okay. Um. So here we go. Oh, I'm sorry, Here's how wait, the... the place
1: of the street is in competition with Zanko chicken.
0: Well, yes. Do you know what
1: place I'm talking about of the street? Yeah. The one by the Big Five. Yeah. Yeah. They're in competition
0: with them? Well, I don't know if they're necessarily competition, but it's their second biggest, um, like, competitor, I guess, within really? the same, yeah, within the same, like, idea
1: But this, this one's chicken. in Glendale, no? This one's Well, that place has away. a... F-
0: the other place has more than one location. You know that, right?
1: Oh, is there another one by, by us?
0: Mm, not by us, but there's another one in Glendale. There's a few spots, actually. Okay. Okay, but we're going to talk about the... Zanko,
1: Zanko, chicken, chicken
0: murders. murders this time. Okay, so here starts the article. A mansion in the hills above Glendale. A man named Martiros Iskandarian rose from his bed one morning and put on a white silk suit. Uh, he hadn't worn in twenty years. He stuffed a nine millimeter handgun into his waistband and a thirty eight caliber revolver into his coat pocket and walked step by small step down the stairs his wife rita who had fallen in love with him when she was 12 couldn't believe the sight for a man who was no uh, sorry for a man who was so near death cancer everywhere he looked beautiful it had been months since he had ventured out by himself months since he had driven one of his fancy cars and she fretted that he was too weak to go anywhere he told her not to worry he was feeling much better now and besides he was only going to Zonko Chicken to see an old friend. He had lived his life like one of those princes of an Armenian fable. His story began in a tiny storefront in Beirut where his mother in her apron hand spooned the golf I'm sorry, the fluffy white garlic paste that would become the family fortune. From Hollywood to Anaheim, he had opened a chain of fast-food rotisserie chicken restaurants that dazzled the food critics and turned customers into a cult. Poets wrote about his Zonku chicken. Musicians sang about his Zonku chicken. Now that he was dying, his dream of building an empire, 100 Zonkus across the land, a Zonku in every major city, would be his four sons to pursue. In the days before, he pulled them aside one by one, Degron, Steve, Ara, Vargas and told them he had no regrets.
1: What, is it the first one with Degron?
0: Yeah. He was 56 years old, that was true, but life had not cheated him. He did not tell them he had just one more piece of business left to do. There was one son, the second son, Steve, who always seemed to know what was on his father's mind. He was the son most like Mar- uh, Martiros, his smile, his temper, his heart. Had Steve been home that day, he might have sensed trouble or at least insisted that his father not go alone. But Martyros had sent Steve off to the mall to fetch him one of those slushy lemonades, the only thing he still had a taste for. By the time Steve got home, the lemonade still icy, his father was gone. The boy would forever be tormented by the question of whether design or chance had prevailed that day. Was this errand a ruse, part of his father's plan, or had he simply—I don't know why I said like that—had he simply failed to hurry home fast enough? Steve, something bad has happened," his mother cried at the door. "There has been a shooting," I hear, Aunt Zolviks. "Where is Dad?" he asked. "He's gone," she said. "What do you mean, he's gone?" He took the car. He said he was going to Zonku, but I don't believe him now. They heard shots at Zovik's. Zovik was Mardiros' younger sister, as pretty as he was handsome. She lived in a big house on wait, the... Wait, wait, wait.
1: You said that was... You said he was his, sis- he was his sister?
0: She was his sister. Oh, okay, I thought
1: yeah. I misheard. Sorry.
0: As pretty as he was handsome. Yep. Yeah. She lived in a big house on the other side of the Verdugo Hills with her husband and two sons. She managed a pair of Zankus for Martiros and had taken on the chore of caring for their mother. Of course, everyone knew this was no chance at all because the mother, Margaret Iskrandarian, the creator of the garlic paste and most every dish worth tasting at Zanku, was a woman who pulled her load and the load of three others— The drive to Antovig's house was a winding seven miles. Steve ran every stop sign, racing down one side of the canyon and up the other. As he rounded the bend and the Oakmont Country Club came into view, he could see TV news helicopters circling like vultures. No, Dad, he said. Please, Dad, no. Up the hill where the canyon oaks gave away, to the palm trees neighbors had spilled out of their million dollar estates police were everywhere and he could see that his aunt's house had been cordoned off he jumped out of the car and made a dash for it he ran with the lean of a man and who had every right to whatever reality existed on the other side of the yellow tape a detective halted him short who are you he asked i am steve iskandarian who are you looking for? is Siscandarian, I am his son. Is he inside? Yes. Is he dead? Yes, he's dead. For a moment he felt a strange relief that only later would be would he attribute to gratitude that his cancer ridden father had finally found release from his suffering. Then almost in the same instant it occurred to him to ask the same to ask the next question. My grandmother and aunt are they dead, too? The cop stared into his eyes nodded, Yes, they're dead, too. Oh. The police had questions, and he tried his best to answer them. On the drive home, he had to forgive himself for allowing his mind at such a moment to consider the family business. Who would take it over now that his father and grandmother and the heart and soul of Zanku Chicken were gone? His mother, Rita, by design, had never worked a single day at Zanku. His... Older brother Degron, was a born again <coughs> evangelist whose fire took him to street corners and younger brother Ara was addled by drugs. No one was more lost than Steve himself just three years earlier, he had been charged with shooting at a prostitute and her pimp her pimp and had faced a life sentence. The case ended in a mistrial. He did have two cousins, Aunt Zovik's sons, who were capable enough, but how could they be expected to work beside the sons of the man who had murdered their mother and uh, and grandmother? My God, Dad," he said, climbing the hillside to give his mother the news. "What have you done?" So, in the weeks and months and years to follow—five years to be exact—the Armenians of Glendale, North Hollywood, Montebello and Van Nuys and their kin up and over the mountains in Fresno told and retold the story. Let's crook it and talk straight. The old Armenian ladies chuckled. There was no bigger shame than an Armenian son taking the life of his own mother. And who could explain such a shame from a man like Martiros Iskandarian? He was the same son who honored his mother on Mother's Day with lavish ceremonies at the church, celebrations in which Margaret Iskandarian short and plump, salt and pepper haircut in in a bob, was invariable crowned queen. Wherever they sent I'm sorry, wherever they went as a family, he made his wife take a seat in the back so his mother could sit beside him. For twenty five years she had lived with Mardiros and Rita and their children. Her single bedroom, the master bedroom, where a single photo, that of her son, back in nineteen fifties Lebanon, graced her dresser. Each day at 6 p.m., when Margaret returned home from her long shift cooking at Zonku, Rita was there to greet her at the door. So why, after all those years of devotion, did Margaret Iskandarian leave the house of her son and move in with her daughter, Zolviq? The old ladies gave answers, some less cruel than others. The cancer had filled Marty body and gone to his brain. He was thinking like a crazy man. No, it wasn't cancer. It was the scars of growing up in Lebanon with a father who was a drunkard of Bourj Hammoud. No, haven't you heard the talk about the Pepsi Company offering the family thirty million for Zonku Chain, and the trademark? Greed split the family house in two. Others insisted there was no sense to be made of it because life made no sense, death made no sense. Yes. Armenians were the first people to accept Christianity as a nation way back in 301 AD, before the Romans, before the Greeks. But to answer this question of why Martyrus Iskandarian killed his mother and his sister and then himself, Armenians had to reach back to their pagan past to a way of seeing older than the Bible itself. Fate. It was muttered. Your destiny is etched into your forehead at birth. What is written, no one can change. And there's a specific word for it. We call it uh, Jakadagir. And that's kind of what it's... uh,
1: What is it? Jakadagir?
0: Yes, Jakadagir. It means like whatever number is written on your forehead is your time, basically. Thus, from Turkey to Beirut to Hollywood to Glendale, from the genocide to the garlic paste to the mansion to the murders, it was all foretold. Rita was an Armenian Catholic schoolgirl growing up in the suburbs of Beirut in the late 1960s 1960s, when she first set eyes on Rossi Iskandarian, the bad boy, gunning his banana yellow 442 Oldsmobile up and down the lane. When he blew the engine, he turned up the next week with a brand new 442 Olds this one burgundy my dad used to have a great Oldsmobile this was was like back in 92 no it was gray I just said it was gray (laughs) the
1: pampered the
0: The pampered son of Zonku chicken hardly noticed Riza I'm sorry Rita Hovakimian, who was seven years younger he kept a rooftop apartment across the alley from where she lived with her family. From balcony to balcony, she spied on him. She got her money's worth. There was no missing him. He always came and went with big noise, Rita said years later. His reputation as a playboy was very bad. Arab girls, Maronite Christian girls, Armenian girls, single girls, married girls... For me, he was the most beautiful guy in the world. Nobody was like him. His smile was gorgeous. His hair was gorgeous. He wore the most beautiful perfume. He was always dressed in Pierre Cardin or something. And when he would open his mouth, out came the charm. What more did a young girl want? Her parents had forbidden her from seeing any boy, much less such a man. A few years earlier, Mardiros had been implicated in a, tor- in a notorious jewelry store heist and murder—an inside job by three Armenians who had killed the handsome, <coughs> excuse me, scion of one of Beirut's wealthiest Arab families. Not knowing that a friend was one of the three robbers, Mardiros left him use, uh, let him use his apartment. Only later did he discover the stash of jewels in the attic. His testimony ended up sending the trio to prison, and from that day on, alert to revenge, he carried two pistols wherever he went. The gap in their ages seemed to narrow as Rita blossomed into a tall beauty with big, round eyes. They began meeting on the sly, Marty Rose tossing her messages in an empty cologne bottle from the roof. For three months, they kept their relationship hidden until... A nosy Armenian neighbor saw her riding in his car and told her mother. Typical Armenian mothers. I'm just kidding. Love them all. It became a big family scandal with lots of threats back and forth. In the end, her parents knew they were deeply in love. She was 19. He was 26. Their wedding came amid the fierce fierce fighting of Lebanon's civil war. She wore a full white gown, but he wanted no part of a tuxedo. His Angel's Flight pants touched so low to the ground, you couldn't even tell he was wearing shoes. They shared a two-bedroom walk-up in the crowded Armenian quarter of Burj Hamoud with his parents, his two sisters, and his mother's mother, a survivor of the Armenian genocide. Where's Burj Uh It's, I'm guessing, a little town in Beirut. Okay. Right below was Zanku Chicken, the takeout they had named after a river in Armenia. There was no cash register, no table, no chairs. They used every square foot to clean and salt the chickens, roast them inside a pair of rotisserie ovens, and keep the golden brown holes and halves warm. Customers parked on the one-way street, ran in, handed the cash to Martiros's father, and ran out with their steaming birds and dollops of pungent garlic paste. It was a drive-through before there were drive-throughs, recalled Garo, uh, De, oh shit, a Beirutian Armenian who befriended the family. The mother would be standing in the mezzanine in her apron, cleaning the garlic cloves and whipping up her paste, and the father was a cash machine, all day long the same movement: his right hand stuffing the wads of money into his left shirt pocket and pulling out the change. Mardyros was helping turn the chickens when he wasn't having fun. Reed understood that Mardyros' position in the family, first child, only son, gave him a kind of exalted status. The prince. The pasha. Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much.
0: In time, it would shoulder him with great burden. With great burden.
1: With great Britain. With great
0: Britain, (laughs) But she was completely compounded by the degree of devotion between mother and son before we married he told me I am gonna live with my parents my whole life I will never leave my mother I figured this was my pact but it was too much my mother my mother she was the queen of the house not me next to God it was his mother and it's very true I mean I'm sure it is for a lot of cultures but
1: yeah, you guys. For are Armenians,
0: really, uh, we really put our mothers, well, especially the men. Yeah, we really put them on a pedestal.
1: I'm not Armenian, but I see that around <laughs> my Armenian <laughs> wife and family and friends. But <laughs> and we're all like that, though.
0: We are. It's definitely different between all cultures, and it's, and we're all still very similar, you know. Yeah.
1: More to the mothers out there.
0: For real. Unraveling the family dynamic was not easy. Her father-in-law, a smart and generous man, disappeared on long binges of alcohol. Day and night, from bottom floor to top floor, her mother-in-law worked. Even if she was compensating for her husband, her capacity for labor bordered on the uh, manacle. Rita wondered if Marty Rose simply felt sorry for his mother and sought to honor her service. Or maybe deep down he understood that no one, who worked, as hard as she worked, did, did it for free. He watched her punish. Oh, fuck! I can't. He watched her punish his mother with the guilt of indebtedness. Maybe Marty Rose feared that his own debt would, be turned against him if he didn't pay her back with the absolute allegiance. Whatever it was, Rita felt swallowed up by their world. Stuck inside the apartment with baby Degron, she could smell the flavors of Zanku floating through the cracks. There was, This was as close as she would come to the business. Her job, set down by custom, was to raise her children and tend to her mother-in-law's mother. So each day, without complaint, Rita finished rocking the baby and listened as the old lady told her story of survival, of the Turks rounding up all their meetings in her village of Hajin in spring of 1915, and hurting them on a death march to the syrian desert she said she came up she came upon the skull of one dead armenian and picked it up she looked at the forehead to see if any words had been written there but there weren't any she said she learned that day that there were no words to read for her the only words were god's words the survivors had steamed had streamed into Beirut by the thousands and formed a new armenia in the pairs of the middle east they built 60 armenian schools and published 10 armenian language newspapers and held sway far behind beyond their number without them the muslim arabs would have ruled the country with them the christian arabs kept a narrow edge it stayed the it stayed that way until 19 until 1975 when the civil war up <clears throat> upended everything the iskandarians like many Ar- many other armenian merchants didn't want to leave zanku was a gold mine they poured its profits into rental properties throughout the city then one evening in 1979 the war struck home Martiros was sitting outside one of their empty storefronts not a block from the zanku when two men on motorcycles sped by he had no reason to suspect that a dispute over rent with an Armenian tenant, a man connected to a political party, would turn violent. But the motorcycle drivers, wearing masks and clutching AK 47s, circled back around. They fired dozens of rounds, hitting Mardiros with bullet after bullet, 16 shots in all.
1: 16 shots hit
0: him? 16 shots with an AK 47. Wow. They say it was a miracle. He didn't write. He didn't die right there.
1: (coughs) That pretty much is. Yeah.
0: Marty Rose had always been a student of maps. But what he found when he came to America was something else. Rita, he shouted from a back room. These Thomas brothers, what geniuses. They had taken a city that made no sense to itself and given it a structure, a syntax, that even foreigners like him could fathom. Here was a whole bound guide of maps that divided up the sprawl of Southern California into perfect little squares with numbers that corresponded to pages inside. Turn to any page and you had the landscape of L.A. in bird's eye, parks and greens, parks and green, malls in yellow, cemeteries in olive and freeways, the lifeblood in red. He poured over the maps at night, reviewed them again in the morning, and then took off to find his new city. By car and foot, he logged hundreds of miles that first week, close to a thousand the next. He was looking for the right business in the right location and wasn't in any particular hurry. They had come with plenty of cash. One thing was certain, his parents, looking for something easier, wanted no part of the food business. They would be. There would be no zonkus in America. They settled instead on a dry cleaning. I'm sorry, a dry cleaning shop. Only to find out that the chemicals made Martiros sick. Father and son traveled to Hong Kong to explore the trade of men's suits. Then decided the business wasn't particular. The deeper Martiros journeyed into Los Angeles, the more he bumped up against growing pockets of immigrants fresh from the Middle East. No restaurant, though, seemed to be dedicated to their cuisine. At least none that served it fast and delicious and at a price that would bring customers back. So in 1983, he went to his parents and pitched the idea. His father resisted. His mother cried. They threatened to return to Rayroot. In the end, sensing their son's resolve, they consented. I'm
1: going to go back. I think you said Ray Root by accident.
0: Beirut. Sorry, my mouth gets a little bit dry, so I'm going to take a little swig of my beer. Mm. Good choice. Delicious. Okay. So, he picked a tiny place next to a laundromat on the corner of Sunset and Normandy. Could there have been an uglier mini mall in all of Hollywood? and erected a sign with block letters in blue and red, Zonko Chicken. Before long, the Arabs and Persian Jews and Armenians found it. So did Mexican gangbangers and nurses from Kaiser Permanente and the flock from El Ron Hubbard's church, who methodically polished off their plates of chicken shawarma, hummus, and pickled turnips and returned to their meters with a clearness that only Margaret's pace could bring. This wasn't Beirut. Marty Rose put in long hours, he tweaked the menu, his mother tinkered with the spices. It took a full year to find a groove. The first crowd of regulars brought in a second crowd, and a buzz began to grow among the network of foodies. How did they make the chicken so tender and juicy? The answer was simple, a rub of salt and not trusting the rotisserie to do all the work, but raising and lowering the heat and shifting each bird as it cooked. What made the garlic paste so fluffy and white and piercing? This was a secret the family intended to keep. Some customers swore it was potatoes, others mayonnaise. At least one fanatic stuck his container in a freezer and examined it each part as it congealed. He pronounced the secret ingredient, a special kind of olive oil. None guessed right. Damn. The ingredients were simple and fresh. Marty Rose pledged. No shortcuts. The magic was in his mother's right hand. Word of a new kind of fair faced, fair, fast and tasty and light spread to the critics. The L.A. Times would call it the best roast chicken in town at any price.
1: Wow.
0: Mm hmm. Zogot would anoint Zanku one of America's best meal deals. No one, though was more breathless in his praise than the gorilla warrior of city chowhounds. Jonathan Gold called the chicken superb and nothing in heaven or on earth compared with the garlic paste. And damn he's right. That garlic paste. I
1: don't know, has he been in heaven before?
0: <clears throat> Listen. Have you had that garlic paste though?
1: I don't think I have.
0: Uh huh, you're missing out. The hole in the wall was racking in two million a year. Half of it pure profit. Wow. In Martiros's mind, the family was growing and the business needed to grow with it. This is America, he told his parents. We've got something good. Let's duplicate our success. His parents fought expansion, but he kept pushing, and in 1991, the family agreed to a split. Martiros would take the Zanku concept and build a chain across the region. Any new restaurants he opened, success or failure, would belong to him. In return, he would sign over his stake in Hollywood to his parents and two sisters. The split was hardly a parting. The garlic paste still would be prepared by his mother and used by all the Zonkus. As a favor to his sister Zovik, he would pay her to manage some of his new stores. Nothing, he assured them, would change at home. After so many years playing the pampered son, Mardiros now saw himself as the patriarch a role that became official after his father's death. Over and over he preached, "'Success means nothing if we don't stay as one. Greed must never rear its head. There is plenty for all of us.'" He loved Zovig's two boys as he loved his own, and he knew she felt the same way about his sons. The boys were more like brothers than cousins. They lived only a few minutes apart in Glendale and attended the same private Armenian school. Zovik would take them each morning, and Rita would pick them up in the afternoon. A gang of six, they climbed the hills, rode bikes, played video games. They had the coolest toys, the latest gadgets. If they were spoiled, they were. It came with the turf. As the grandchildren of Margaret, well, it's actually Marguerite, but I'm just going to say Margaret.
1: Marguerite.
0: Each one was nothing. Each one was something of a food snob. No one's cooking could measure up to hers. She made the best lentil soups, the best raw meat and bulgur, which is called chikufta. She wasn't big on hugs or kisses. She could be downright stern, but she wanted her children to know what good food tasted like.
1: Well, that's how a lot of people are. Yeah. Like, for me, no one cooks better food than my mom.
0: I know. No one cooked better food. food, You cook good food. Yeah, but but I don't even cook good like your mom. Even, same with my mom. Nobody can top my mom's cooking. It was just the best. When they turned up their noses at her sheep's brain soup, she bribed them with $20 bills just to get them to take one sip.
1: Is that hush? Yes. Hush is delicious. Hush. A lot of people don't like it. I liked it. I don't like it. I've had it twice. There's a lot of stuff in it.
0: Yeah, there's too many things in it that I'm not too fond of. And
1: and rich.
0: Okay, okay, that's not. But it's delicious. You have to eat it like in the morning.
1: It's It's... supposedly a good hangover cure.
0: Yeah, but then they're drinking while they're eating it, so.
1: Yeah, but then you pass out after you eat it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because you've been drinking so many shots of vodka, probably.
1: Is that what it was? (laughs) I thought it was because so it was so rich. <laughs> that too, but oh. mostly
0: because of the fact that shot vodka shots follow after each bite of food.
1: Hash is dope.
0: Okay. So, Mardiros didn't need to travel far to find his new his next spot. Glendale was a city made new by three successive waves of Armenian refugees from first from Iran, then from Beirut, and now from Armenia itself. He picked a less grimy mini mall, squeezed be- behind a gas station for Zonko No. 2. As soon as it began turning a profit, he found a spot in Van Nuys for Zonko number 3, then Zonko number 4 in Anaheim, and Zonko number 5 in Pasadena. His white house, way up in the Verdugo Hills, was now known as the home of the rotisserie chicken mogul.
1: Wait, is that Van Nuys one, the one by Panorama? Um, I think so. Like in the same... It's on Van Nuys Boulevard.
0: I th- think
1: so. Before you get to the courthouse.
0: Yes. Okay. That's it.
1: I've never had it, but I passed by it. Yeah, a yeah. Lot. Because of the courthouse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. It's at higher than the mansions of doctors, lawyers, and investment bankers. Only a porn king looked down on him. We're talking about where he lives, by the way. Okay. He and Rita drove a Jaguar and a black Mercedes-Benz. They had live-in servants, yet it wasn't the kind of wealth that let them lounge around playing golf or tennis. When, when Rita wasn't tending the boys, she was feeding and bathing Marty Rose's 97-year-old grandmother. His mother, Margaret, uh, or Marguerite, had her own seamstress, and she dressed in the finest silks and wools. But more often than not, her clothes were covered by the apron she put on each morning at 7.30 a.m. sharp. When she finished prepping dishes for the customers, she began cooking delicacies for the employees. As for Marty Rose, he spent his days driving from Zonko to Zonko. He did the payroll, made sure the food tasted right, and timed the customers from the second they walked in to the second they were served. When he wasn't working he was catting around with his own gang of rich buddies he went to vegas with them to cabo with them every so often he'd pile rita and the kids into the mercedes and take them to his favorite chinese restaurant this was what passed for family time if he felt bad about neglecting his wife and children he tried to make up for it by giving to their meeting community he gave to the schools, dance troops, and starving artists. He gave back to orphans and widows and soup kitchens back in Armenia. He gave so often that a cartoon in one of uh, in one Armenian-American newspaper showed two doors leading into Zonko. One was for food, the other for philanthropy. All in all, he had done what he had <clears throat> set out to do. At night... Out on the balcony, he sat in his chair and could see all the way to Catalina Island. He'd take his telescope and look up at the stars and then look back down at the twinkling lights of Los Angeles. He belonged here. This was his place now. He and his uncles had become part of the map. Become part of the map.
1: Became part of the map?
0: Become. He could feel the pain down below growing worse. Something terrible he knew afflicted him. Next week, he told himself. Next week. By the time he got to the doctor, it was too late. The cancer in his bladder had spread to his rectum. Chemotherapy would buy only a little time. He broke the news to Rita and the boys, and then he gathered his mother and sisters in the living room to tell them. He was going to fight it, he said. But if he died, he wanted them to know... His sons. Dekron twenty five, Steve twenty three, Ara eighteen, and Vardges seventeen would be taking over his uncles.
1: Okay, so you went Dekron. What was the third and fourth one?
0: Steve, Ara and Vardges.
1: So you went Dekron, Ara and Vardges, and then you went Steve. S- Steve. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'm uh not
0: questioning
1: well, it. Well I kinda am questioning it, but
0: there's like a, there's like a form of Steve that we use. It's called Stepan. So it, maybe they just translate it to like more of an English term instead of keeping it as Stepan. But trust me I get it. The other Digran and Vartges are very Armenian names and
1: um It's like when I when your family calls me Jose they go, Jose.
0: <laughs> well, that's just their accent. Jose. <laughs> that's
1: different. Jose, how are you? Oh my goodness. Okay.
0: <laughs> so he announced that his sons would be taking over the Zonkos. The room fell silent. His sisters, Zovik and Haigon, seemed tongue tied.
1: They his wanted it.
0: Mother sat stone faced. She didn't ask what kind of cancer he had or what kind of prognosis the doctors had given him. Instead, as she put down her Her demitas of Turkish coffee, she blurted blurted out in Armenian, your sons, the shadow they cast is not yours. Then she rose, walked up the stairs to her bedroom, and shut the door.
1: So just to be, just to clarify, demitas is a small cup cup of of coffee. Yes. Okay. I do not know what it was, so That's I'm just okay. trying to...
0: It's just a small cup that we drink out of, and you know this because you have kofe with us every I know, I do,
1: but I never called it a demotovs of coffee.
0: Well, now you know.
1: <clears throat> demotovs.
0: Each one of his boys, it was true, was struggling to find his place. Vartges, the youngest and perhaps the brightest, was using his allowance to buy marijuana. Ara, pent up and quirky, was addicted to painkillers. DeGron, the oldest, had found the Lord and was preaching salvation during the day and telling his brothers at night in bed that they were all headed to hell.
1: That's he harsh. had
0: become a born-again after a scandal in 1997 that cost him his dream of being a lawyer. A top student at Woodbury University, DeGron had been caught in an elaborate scheme to cheat on the law school entrance exam. He paid a fine and served probation, but no credentialed law school would ever accept him.
1: That's messed up. He could have been great at it, but because he yeah, did his little when he fucked it up. Yeah. He fucked
0: damn. it up. I mean you were already there. You were studying. Why'd you have to cheat?
1: Why, yeah.
0: For Steve it was a def- it was a different weakness. <clears throat> Oops.
1: For Stefan Stefan.
0: He had gone to the 777 motel in Sherman Oaks on a winter night in 2000 to meet a call girl. Bad idea. He didn't know she had a listening device broadcasting to a pimp who stole his money. Steve gave chase down a freeway and shots were fired at the pimp and the prostitute. Hitting their car. Steve was charged with two counts of attempted murder and bail was set at 1.4 million dollars.
1: What is that,
0: 140000 Uh,
1: no, Yeah, uh, 10% of... $140,000? Yeah. yeah.
0: That's, that's <laughs> if the verdict didn't go his way, he faced life in prison. As it turned out, the prosecutor made a small blunder during the trial, telling the jury about a prior crime that Steve did not commit. His attorney, Mark Giragos objected, and the judge declared a mistrial. That
1: sounds familiar. Mark Giragos.
0: Steve plead guilty to a lesser crime, did a year of work for Lowe, and was let go. Yes, Mark Giragos did quite a few famous trials. One being
1: No. Lacey Peterson. Oh, that's right.
0: Yes. Well, not Lacey Peterson, but for um scott peterson
1: oh was scott Peterfin- scott he was peterson's scott peterson scott
0: peterson's mm-hmm. Oh, defender. defense
1: attorney wow
0: his attorney at that time and ironically well, not ironically but he actually is a local of our really town yeah he's uh he lives in the neighboring city
1: get him on the line
0: let's do it actually i see him every morning walking
1: you're a liar no
0: i do he works. Get him, he him on lives the podcast. Right my, we're <laughs> get him we're on getting Gary goes on the podcast. He works. No, he works. I'm we're sorry. He's gonna drink beer with I, us and talk
1: about old. Uh,
0: uh, when I take my walks during my breaks in the afternoon and during the morning, he's usually walking. Really? Yeah. He goes to a little local coffee shop and then he makes his way every morning. He's taking his Let's little. Get walks. him on the
1: podcast. We'll have some beers with him. Mister Gary
0: goes. Mister Gary goes. Do you want to be on my podcast?
1: You want to talk to us about Scott Peterson and. Uh, <laughs> Marty Rose, what's his...
0: Marty Rose, is Scandarian son. Yeah. So in the days that followed the news of his cancer, Marty Rose couldn't help but notice that his mother's behavior toward him had changed. She would come home from work, Rita would greet her as usual at the front door, and she would walk right past him into the kitchen without a word. No, how do you feel today? No, are your treatments working? She She would pour a glass of water from the refrigerator, turn around and walk upstairs to her room. She was pissed.
1: Oh, apparently.
0: He wouldn't see her again until the next day, when she would repeat her silence. His hair fell out, he lost 60 pounds, but not once did she seem to notice.
1: So this was, this silence came from...
0: The fact that he wanted to... I have cancer,
1: and I'm giving it to my sons. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, not even the cancer part, but just the fact that she wanted to give the businesses to the sons. Is they
1: how, knew. How wild is that, though? That's.
0: I mean, they knew. The mother, the grandmother, and the mother knew that his sons were all fuck-ups. I hate to say it that way.
1: Oh, that's why they didn't want it. I thought it was yes. just more of a, like a... No,
0: it was because they like were all fuck-ups. Not, not
1: greedy, but kind of wanted it to themselves. You know no, I mean? it was definitely guess it not greedy, that. They
0: just didn't want to see it go the businesses under. go under because oh, okay. apparently a good portion of I his kids were not in the I best, you know? <clears throat> so, it's
1: because you threw everything so wildly. You started off with.
0: I know, I'm telling you, that's how good this article is.
1: Like, he started off with. You
0: have to pay attention to happened, it. It's going to be a long one, guys. This Hold happened, on. this
1: happened, and then we're going to backtrack completely, and now mm-hmm. we're going to tell you the whole story. And now I'm confused.
0: Nah, you won't be. Look will there. Don't even What is his worry. name?
1: Martigos? Marty Rose? Marty Rose? I thought that was one of the kids in the be- <laughs> at the end. I was like, <laughs> what the hell just happened? Okay. I thought one of his kids had cancer. That's well, you're why. prolonging
0: it. Okay. Wow. So, it didn't occur to Rita that her mother-in-law might be miffed about Marty Rose's desire for her sons to take over the businesses, what we just said. After all, Margaret had opposed the expansion from day one, and Marty Rose alone owned Zonku's number two, three, four, and five.
1: Oh, they made them give up some of the steak for the Hollywood run, right?
0: Well, he gave up his stake for the Hollywood one so he so could open, he could open, open the other hand. ones because okay. they didn't want to. So he figured, like, I'll let you guys have that one. But at the same time, his sister was running the businesses for the well, other two. Yeah.
1: But she didn't own any of it, though.
0: She didn't own the other ones. She didn't own, like, two, she three, own, four, like, and five.
1: She didn't own stock in it or any. Type no, of no, no,
0: she had no was hand just an in employee it. She was just much. running them, yeah. So this went on for more than a year, not a word spoken between mother and son. Marty Marty Rose might have taken it upon himself to ask what crime he had committed to deserve such treatment, but all he had left was his pride. Then one day, while his mother was away at work, he walked into her bedroom and reached atop the dresser and grabbed the photo of him and her when he was a child in Lebanon. He could see that she had the faintest smile on her lips and she was leaning over to hug him, her prince, her pasha. He took the photo out of his frame, tore off the side depicting his mother, lit a match, and watched it burn.
1: The picture?
0: The picture. Well, the side of his mother. Then he folded up his side of the photo and threw it away. A day or so later, as it happened the house caught fire. Flames ash- uh, flame shot up from the maid's bedroom downstairs. He and Rita were stuck on the balcony, choking on smoke, when firefighters finally rescued him. They packed what they could and went to live at a hotel in Glendale while the house was refurbished. It was the next to last time he would see his mother. She had taken all her possessions and moved in with Zovik. Over the following year, as he lay dying, his mother never once called him, which is really fucking sad. Just like that heartbreaking. Is very
1: sad, actually.
0: Neither did his sisters or nephews. His treatments had caused a buildup of fluid on his brain, and he was thinking all kinds of crazy thoughts. He told Steve about setting the image of his mother to flames and how the, that image had to come back to light the fire that had burned the house. In more rational moments, he thought that a mother capable of disowning her son at the hour of his greatest need, a son who had dedicated his life to her, was capable of engineering great mischief when he was gone. Yes, the zancos he had built belonged to him alone, and he believed the trademark was his too. But how could he be certain that his mother and sisters would challenge the inheritance of his wife and sons? His head began to throb the pain so severe that his sons had to take turns rubbing his skull with their uh, with their knuckles he told steve wow. he was certain that his mother and sisters were plotting against him he could barely stand up but each week he made steve drive him to the two that zovig managed and opened uh and open the safe to see so he could count the receipts Steve, tugged by his love for his grandmother, asked his father if he could ever find it in his heart to forgive her. God will forgive the devil the devil before I can forgive my mother, he said, because this is a mother, not the devil.
1: Wait, what? God could forgive the devil? Before
0: the th- I can forgive
1: oh, okay. my mother. He said the devil twice, so it kind of threw me off.
0: Oh, sorry. Because this is a mother, not the devil. Wow. He rose from his bed on the morning of January 14th, 2003, took a shower, and got dressed. His wife would recall his putting on the white silk suit that hadn't fit him in years.
1: The 20-year-old suit?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Only now, after losing so much weight, could he wear it again. He reached into the closet for his thirty-eight caliber revolver and stuck it into his coat pocket. Then he jammed his 9 millimeter I don't know why I said it like that, 9 millimeter semi-automatic browning mm. into his waistband next to his diaper.
1: This millimeter?
0: The gun held 11 rounds, and he scooped up 9 extra bullets. As he walked down the stairs and said goodbye to Rita, he had no intention of going to Zonko Chicken to see an old friend. He had called his sister at work and arranged a meeting with her and his mother to discuss family affairs. He maneuvered his black BMW down the steep canyon, looped along La Crescenta Avenue, and climbed the backside of the mountain until he reached the split-level brick and stucco house on Ayers Canyon Way. He parked out front, walked up to the tall entrance past two Sago palms, and knocked on the door. He was now wearing a dark brown jacket with gray pants. Perhaps he had changed his clothes on the way over, or maybe his wife's memory had played a trick dressing him for the last time in white. As A housekeeper led him into the dining room where his 45-year-old sister, Zolvik Marjik, was standing. She was dressed in blue jeans and a long-sleeved brown sweater. Her hair was curly, like his, as as if she had just gotten out of the shower herself, and it was tinted an odd red. She asked him to take a seat at the dining room table and poured him a glass of lemonade. He chatted pleasantly with her for half an hour as he waited for the 76-year-old mother to come home from work. When Marguerite Iskandarian walked in a little after 2 p.m., she was carrying a big box of food. She set it down on the kitchen table, put on her white slippers and greeted his sister and then him. The housekeeper poured his mother a glass of lemonade, and topped <clears throat> I'm sorry, and topped off his glass and the glass of his sister. Then she walked downstairs to her bedroom to let the three of them, mother's son, uh, mother's son and daughter talk. His sister sat across from him and his mother to his right. His voice was calm, their voices were calm. He waited about five minutes for the fu- conversation to go from nothing to something. And then he reached for the gun in his waistband.
1: Oh my goodness. He
0: grabbed the handle, put his finger on the trigger and extended his arm across the table and over the pitcher of lemonade. He fired once into his sister's brain. The bullet knocked her off the chair and she fell face down on the granite floor he turned to his mother she was screaming and running toward the door he chased her down about 15 feet short of it and stood in front of her he raised the gun and waited long enough to hear her plead for her life don't shoot please she said in Armenian please don't shoot he fired once into her chest and she staggered backward falling flat and face up on the floor He stood over her, straddling her body. She looked at him and raised her right hand. He fired a second bullet, a third bullet, a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Each one he aimed straight into her heart. She was wearing a beautiful silk top the color of eggplant, but he couldn't tell. She had died with her apron on. As he looked around the room, he could see his twenty-three-year-old nephew Hagop, trembling halfway up the stairs. He didn't say a word to the young man, he had once regarded as his fifth son. He turned away and walked a dozen paces to the leather couch in the living room, sat down on the sat down, pointed the gun at his right temple, and fired one time. Oof. On an early winter afternoon not long ago, five years after that day, the widow of Zonko Chicken sat in her little office in the back of the Pasadena restaurant and stared into her computer screen. Live images from each zonko the four her husband had built and the two she had opened since, popped up with a mouse click. Every car in the parking lot, every customer standing in line, every worker taking an order or turning a spit of meat from Burbank to Anaheim came under her gaze. She studied the movements the way she imagined her husband had scrutinized them from his perch inside each store, looking for signs that the service wasn't fast enough, or the food good enough, or that an employee, God forbid, might be stealing. She had her cell phone at the ready in case her sons needed to reach her, to discuss business or some difficulty in their lives. This had become Rita Iskandarian's vigil, watching her stores and bird-dogging her sons for any sign of trouble. A life-size a life-size photo of Marty Rose, mustache drooping, middle-aged body, thick in a suit, handsome still, kept watch on her. She looked up and shook her head. I didn't have time to cry. I had to get out of bed. I buried him, and 15 days later I was running the business. I was not working. I was not a working woman. I had no <clears throat> position, no ground, but I know now how important this business is. That is what my husband built. I have to be on top of it. I am doing this for him. Everything for him. Her English was broken by the backward phrasing and accent of a woman who carried Syria and Lebanon in her past. Two packs of cigarettes a day had turned her voice husky, and her whole manner had the weight of wariness. When a smile did come, she caught herself and put it away before anyone noticed and yet she kept a sense of humor, a kind of gallows giggle that life, luck, had turned out the way it had. Only when you got to know her well did she portray a hint of anger she felt towards Marty Rose. Her disquiet was not only for what he had done to her and her children and the rest of the family, but also for what he had done to himself, the stain across his name. It's a shame that a man of his value has left behind this thing, because he was a man who gave all his soul. He never said no to anybody. When his mother did what his mother did to him, I cannot explain. What his sister did to him, I cannot explain. Can jealousy explain this? Can foolish pride? Five years later, it is still a mystery to me. She said. She regretted not putting aside her own pride back then and visiting her mother and sister Zolvik. Maybe she could have helped broke her a peace and kept the whole thing from happening what had taken place since was its own crime she and marty rose's surviving sister Hygon had been best friends since childhood after the death, they had met and consoled each other and rita continued to make gestures of reconciliation but then the lawyers marched in and a war between the two sides broke out if Martiros' intentions had been to erase family entanglements and leave the business and its future to the next generation, he had left behind an even bigger mess. His registration of the Zonko trademark had lapsed in 2000. Rita believed the chain's good name belonged to her as part of the 1991 split, but during probate, she received a letter from lawyers representing Zovik's two sons. They intended to challenge her claim. She filed suit, and the matter went to trial. In late 2006, to the displeasure of everyone involved, the appellate court ruled that the trademark belonged to both sides. Rita's in-laws and one of her nephews then countered with a lawsuit of their own, alleging wrongful death and seeking tens of millions of dollars from Marty Rose's estate. But their lawyers had failed to fall within the statute of limitations, and the suit was dismissed.
1: That's bullshit.
0: <laughs> Rita didn't discourage her sons when they talked about the love they still felt for their cousins <clears throat> and the desire to be one family again. But she was sure that the other side was thinking up ways to take Zankus from them. Indeed, her two nephews and, so- and sister-in-law, <coughs> would, who would not speak publicly about the matter... Were preparing a new lawsuit to not only take full control control of the trademark but rest away one of the two houses that rita had and her sons owned it never ends she said it never ends she opened her office door and walked down a long hall to the front of the restaurant a giant map of los angeles lifted from the pages of the thomas guide shouted a welcome to the customers, two Armenian cashiers smiled from this old Soviet Union, took orders. Rita poured herself a soda, part of the black plastic curtain, and entered the main kitchen for all six of her zonkus. Mexican men in yellow t-shirts with zonko written in red were cleaning chickens, slicing chickens, marinating chickens, skewering chickens. They sent the ovens 48,000 pounds of Foster Farms roasters and fryers each week, 2.5 million pounds a year. Blood dripped off their knives, down a gutter, and into a drain. On a big black stove, 20 stainless steel pots filled with garbanzo beans next week's hummus bubbled on the fire, bins brimmed with tahini, the sesame seed paste, and mm, mutabal I always say it wrong, Moutable, really. The smooth, creamy roasted eggplant dip and torsheem, the long, thin slices of pickled purple turnips. The skewers, both horizontal and vertical, were piled thick with beef and chicken. From the inside out, fat sizzled, dripped down, and coated the meat, turning the exterior into a delicate caramel. This was the dish that Mardi Rose had invented, the best seller they called Tarna. Against the far wall, a formica table and chairs had been set up. Gin, um, sorry, gin rummy style. Four ladies, two from Mexico and two from Armenia, sat all day performing a kind of circumcision. They Whoa. took, I know, they took every clove of garlic that came whole and peeled from Gilroy and ex, um, excised the tiny stem at the top. Bud by bud, they cleaned one thousand five hundred pounds of garlic each week. You would think they stink of garlic, Rita said, gesturing toward the women. But get close, and all you smell is soap Of all the possibilities, No one had thought that the widow who had never worked a day at Zonko would be the one to stop I'm sorry, the one to step into her husband's shadow. Her sons didn't think she could do it; she wasn't sure herself. Together, they had grown the chain by adding a store in West L.A. and one in Burbank, the fanciest of the bunch. For the most part, though, it was still a mom-and-pop. She took her workers into her extended family, for better and for worse. She paid them more than the minimum wage and provided free food for lunch. Many had stuck around for years. Only a handful had left disgruntled. She didn't apologize for being a hard driver, a stickler for quality. Indeed, her insistence on using the best and freshest ingredients and cooking everything from scratch was cutting into profits. The cost of tahini alone had doubled in the past year. Back in Marty time, profits from one store had opened the next. In the case of Burbank and West LA, Rita had to take out large loans on her house. She had no choice but to raise prices, so that a plate of chicken tarna now ran close to $10, the danger zone for fast food. Everybody thinks we are making millions, she said. Would you believe if I told you that the one Zonko in Beirut was making more money back then than all of the Zonko's put together today? At age 24, Zonko was a survivor. Fending off challengers some shameless in their imitation was nothing new. The internet droned with foodies debating the chain's overrated chicken or laminating how the garlic paste had somehow lost its zest. Zonko Chicken, I don't get the hype, one wrote. Another declared Rx is the best falafel stand in Hollywood. The only reason I go to Zonko now is when Rx is closed. Zonko defenders shouted back, What do you mean overrated? It's better than ever. Rita tampered Rita tamped down talk by Sons Deekron and Steve without I'm sorry, about bringing in outside investors to triple the chain or about selling Zonko nationwide as a franchise. Look round," she told them. Cuckoo How funny is that? I call my brother's cat that. Uh, Boston Market. Kenny Rogers. The street was littered with small chains that grew into bigger chains and imploded because they forgot what good food tasted like.
1: I'm Kenny Rogers.
0: <laughs> Sorry. DeGron, the marketer who handled everything from menus to charity, seemed to understand. Steve took it personally. He was twenty-eight now and knew more about the food operations than any of them. He had Marty Rose's instinct for the business. Rita agreed, and his taste buds too. He could take one bite of food and knew immediately which spice, and know immediately which spice was too much or too little. But he also had the curse of his father's temper. Rita worried that he might get into trouble again, and when it came to managing people, she did not trust his judgment five months earlier Steve had insisted on hiring a supervisor for Pasadena a woman who had a long career managing fast food franchises such as McDonald's after much discussion Rita gave in the new manager wasted no time making small changes name tags and big ones hour by hour tracking of sales Steve saw an operation evolving from unprofessional to professional Rita saw it going from friendly to sterile it was a classic battle pitting the virtues of smallness against the efficiencies of bigness. It turned ugly. The manager was fired. Steve became furious with his aunt, Rita's sister, who worked at the Pasadena Zonku and had complained bitterly about the manager. He confronted her. She was ten years older than his mother and blind in one eye. His mother wouldn't speak of the details, but it was clear that Steve had gotten physical with his aunt. Rita felt she had no choice but to fire him and kick him out of the house.
1: Step Stepan.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, but his real name is Steve. Oh. Yeah. What Steve did to his aunt, I am too ashamed to talk about, she said. He is a good boy and he's got a big heart, but he has given me no choice. He has to learn how to control his temper. His anger, we will not accept.
1: Wait, he wasn't the one that was addicted to drugs?
0: Um, no, I think Steve was the one who had that issue with the prostitute.
1: Oh, okay. the shooting at the okay.
0: prostitute i think um, i have to go back into the beginning of my the, story but yeah the,
1: the prostitute with the wire and the pimp and yeah yeah or money and, and he, he, owed shot, money too or something.
0: he shot he mon- shot no they, they owed went him on money? On it. well the pimp stole his money oh okay. they went on a whole chase and he shot at them and it was considered attempted murder got it so steve knew the back streets of los angeles every bit as well as his father Tooling from Glendale to Hollywood, cranking the wheel from freeway to road, he could tell his global positioning system a thing or two about the best way to get there. He had been blaring Bob Marley for two days, ever since his mother had given him the boot. Now it was time to continue his education on the 48 Laws of Power. He slipped the CD into his player and a voice eerily disembodied began to intone, Power is more godlike than anything in the natural world. Power's crucial foundation is the ability to master your emotions. If you are trying to destroy an enemy who has hurt you, far better to keep, off, keep him off guard by feigning friendliness than showing anger. Make your face as malleable as an actor's. Practice luring people into traps. Mastering arts of deception are among the aesthetic pleasures of lying.
1: That doesn't sound like a Bob Marty song. They
0: are also key components in the acquisition of power. Law 1 seemed easy enough. Never outshine the master. He was having more difficulty with Law 15. Crush your enemy totally. It didn't occur to him that the tape, like 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 his favorite movie, Scarface, was so over the top that another listener might find it comical. He wanted to believe in the message, whether that message came from Sun Tzu or Donald Trump or Tony Montana. He was willing to hand over his whole being to it. He saw himself as Putty going in, a rich and beloved American tycoon coming out. My goal in life, he said, is to have as many people at my funeral, to to have affected as many lives in a good way as I can. I want to live a great life. I want to be a great person. I really enjoy hanging out with different people, intellectual people, important people. I know I really can't do that unless I have power. He seemed in a fundamental way far too sweet a kid to become a truly adept in art of ruthlessness. Among Armenians and beyond people were awed by his generosity in the same way they had admired his father's. Zonko didn't deliver, but there was Steve. Bags of split roasted goodies loaded in his Lexus heading to a school or a charity that needed free food for its function. He paid the monthly rent on a building in Ontario that a black preacher, a friend, and a had converted into his first church. Steve was the one whom friends called when they were rearing bottom and needed a push into rehab. He drove them there, nursed them through the cold turkey, and monitored their recoveries like a hawk. As for his own life, it was a mess. He had dark circles under his eyes and was 30 pounds overweight. His younger brother, Ara, whose addiction to Vicodin had morphed into an addiction to exercise, thanks in part to Steve, tried to work him back into shape. He kept skipping the gym to gorge on lobster and crab at Mariscos Colima in North Hollywood. Wait. Do you know where that is?
1: That's right by where I work.
0: Well, that's where We've he used there. to go. Oh, well, yeah.
1: That's by the Rigos Tacos. Is
0: that the place? Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, they have some bomb ass shrimp cocktails here. they're pretty good try it out
0: after one monumental meal he caressed his belly bro he said bruh eyes twinkling you wouldn't know it but underneath these pounds i used to catch a lot of ladies he was sure he was paying a price for all that softness people saw him as an easy mark no wonder his mother discounted his vision she thought the manager I hired was pulling the wool over my eyes, but she doesn't know what it takes to move this buz- uh, move this business forward. Don't get me wrong, my mother's been awesome. She surprised all of us with her work ethic, but she doesn't understand this business the way I understand it. He had been at his father's side, watching and learning since he was a kid. If only he were calling the shots now, the next move would be big. I believe we can open a zonko in every major city in America, but she doesn't want to hear it, bro. I have sh- to sugarcoat everything. I have to walk on eggshells. Walk on eggshells? Had he been walking on eggshells a few days earlier with his aunt? My aunt was totally provoking me the whole way. He said they are making it like they are making it like I beat her up, but I didn't. They are insisting that I hurt her and I didn't hurt her. I lost. I lost my temper. I was mad. You know so he hit her. I slapped her on the hand. It didn't hurt, though. I know it didn't hurt. Now Steve wasn't sure what to do. Should he stay with friends, get a place of his own, leave town? He packed his bags and headed north past Santa Clarita and Bakersfield, straight up Highway 99. The grape fields all around him were in winter slumber, and he felt his mind begin to race. One image after the other... His life over the past ten years came back to him. He saw he saw Tigran, the older brother he so admired, walk into the bedroom they shared and whisper at night, Steve, you're going to hell if you don't change your ways. He saw the 777 motel and the call girl and her pimp. He saw the courtroom in Van Nuys and the prosecutor making the tiniest of blunders. He saw his father lying on the couch, a hat covering his bald head, and his grandmother home from work. Walking past him as if he were already dead. He saw his feather his father sorry. He saw his father burning the photo and telling him he would never forgive her. God will forgive the devil before I for, I can forgive my mother. Because this is a mother, not the devil. He saw his father asking him for a slushy lemonade from the Mussel Beach shop at the Glendale Galleria. He saw himself coming back home, the lemonade still icy, his father gone. He kept driving through the California farm fields until he reached Fresno. That night, sitting in the friend's backyard, he heard the story about the Armenian kid who had stolen a crate of raisins in the 1920s. Fifty years later, at the church picnic, the old ladies sitting in their sitting in their lawn chairs pointed to a boy standing in the shish kebab line. "See that young man?" the old lady said. "That's the raisin stealer's grandson." No one needed to tell him then, tell him the moral. He was the son of Chicken Mogul, who had murdered his mother and sister, and then had the decency to kill himself. What struck him wasn't the story's lesson, that you can never escape the past, but what the storyteller had left out. Did those whispers reach the ears of the raisin-stealer's grandson, or was he lucky enough to just to be just outside their reach? Did he manage to live his life near knowing the peculiar bent of his patrimony? Steve wasn't so lucky. He had heard the whispers, and it made him think about the son he might have one day. Would the whispers follow him, or would his son know the story because Steve had chosen to tell it from his own mouth? For three days, he ate white bean and lamb stew, drank whiskey, and imagined living in a place such as Fresno, the land of yon, far from Zonko, far from family. On the fourth day he climbed back into his car and headed home. This time as the highway opened up, his mind fixed on a different image from the past. It was 2005, 2 years after the murders and the grieving was finished. The family had decided it was time to honor Marty Rose's and open a new store. I'm sorry, Marty Rose and open a new store in West LA. Because he was the son most like his father, the job was given to him. You find the location, his mother told him. You find the contractor. One day, the store half done, he found himself unable to get out of bed. For 90 days, he lingered in a state of deep depression. Doctors uh, prescribed pills, but he wouldn't take them. Nothing could reach him, not food or drink or sex. His mother didn't know what to do. She was paying $15,000 a, in in, a month in rent for a restaurant with no opening in sight. She finally persuaded him to see a psychiatrist, a Greek doctor a doctor who heard the story and could see where the problem was buried. All his life he had been told he was Mardiros's son. All his life, good and bad, he had done his best to make that true. The girls, the outbursts, the devotion to business, the loyalty to family, it became his way of honoring the father. But what it meant to Mardyros' Iskandarian son had changed irrevocably that day. It was one thing to be the second coming of a patriarch beloved, beloved by family and community. It was another to know that all this legacy had been washed over by one act. Who was the father? Who was the son? How could Steve ever be expected to build a new zonko in his family, in his father's name, without ever owning up to what his father had done? Usually, he did not plan his visits to Forest Lawn. He went only when this impulse seized him. And that was rare. Truth be known, he wasn't sure if he was strong enough, but that December in 2007, as he barreled into Los Angeles, he decided it would be, he would do something different. Inside the cemetery gates, he visited the grave of his father and then he headed to the opposite end to locate the graves of his grandmother and aunt. He hadn't gone to their funerals. He had never said a proper goodbye. I know it sounds stupid, but it wasn't until I was standing there staring into their headstones that it hit me for the first time, that my father had killed them. I never really looked at it like that before. He took two lives. He was going to die anyway, so I don't count his life. But he took two lives with him, and those lives belonged to my grandmother and my aunt. There was no turning away from it. This is what my father chose to do as his final deed. He wanted to believe that none of it was truly planned, that his father, racked by rage and cancer, was not of sound mind. He wanted to believe that in the living room of his aunt's house, his father awoke to his crime and felt immense sadness. He could only hope that his father had asked for forgiveness as he sat down on the couch and raised the gun to his head. What he didn't know was that the coroner had checked for traces of salt beneath his father's eyes and found none. Marty Rose had shed no tears. That's really sad when you think about it.
1: I was wondering, why are they going to check for salt? But, yeah.
0: The son left the cemetery that day with the same questions he had been lugging around for five years. They were questions he now knew they had no answers. How could a woman who cooked with such love disown her own, her own son on his deathbed? How could a man so intent on passing to his sons the good name of his life's work hand them his name? this act. He drove up the canyon to the mansion that sat on the ledge in the Verdugo hills. He parked his car and walked up the driveway past the koi pond in the entrance and knocked on the door. His mother and three brothers were waiting for him. There was Ara, who struck an impressive bodybuilder's pose, and Vargas, the university student who was still trying to finish a condolence letter he had been writing to Zolvik's son for five years. And there was Tigran, the uneasy patriarch who felt the need to speak for them all. Dad wanted us brothers to love each other and always support each other no matter what. We are different, each of us, but we are one. We love each other and we will die for each other. As his sons, we can never let money or outsiders tear us apart. To do less would be to dishonor Dad's memory. Steve sat down on the couch next to his mother, leaned back, and closed his eyes. Rita took a puff of her cigarette and smiled. Her prince, her pasha. Then she opened the family scrapbook to a page from beirut the year 1965 and she began to narrate to this day i never see anybody as beautiful as my husband was i met him when i was 12. roof to roof we passed each other notes it was forbidden but we fell in love and that's it
1: Well, wow.
0: yeah thank you for bearing through that that was such a good article and I couldn't not read the whole thing Um, again this is from Los Angeles Magazine it's called the Zonku Chicken Murders by Mark Arox. just wonderfully written article
1: very very interesting story and it's so close to us it is
0: it's so close to home and it just it's like it is it's it's a shame to hear of anything like this With anybody, obviously, naturally, but, like, just knowing that it's, I don't know,
1: within my um,
0: community, you know, it's kind of, like,
1: damn. Yeah, that's very...
0: Who knew it had such a tragic, like...
1: Who knew there was so much to it, too? Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: And I feel like there's always some kind of mm, tragic story with any kind of, like, business or... Whatever it is that's, like, family-based, you know what I mean? There's always something. Mm, yeah. Or if it's some kind of, like, I don't know, celebrity or some kind of fame or something, there's always a hint of sadness behind it with the family. And it just sucks.
1: It sucks. But uh, do you want to give the the writer, everybody, let the, let the people know who the writer was of this article?
0: Yeah, I, I mentioned it. His name is Mark Arocks. Okay. And again, it's from a Los Angeles magazine um, article called The Zonko Chicken Murders. And if you're a local of this area or one of the areas that I mentioned, Hollywood, West Hollywood, Pasadena, Burbank, Glendale, Glendale, definitely Glendale, uh, look out for a Zonko Chicken near you. They have... They truly have some of the greatest plates, and their food is outstanding. That garlic paste.
1: And Van Nuys.
0: And Van Nuys.
1: By the courthouse.
0: That garlic paste. I'm telling you, that garlic paste is something else, but it's delicious.
1: Yeah, that one in Van Nuys, I think it's between the courthouse and the dispensary.
0: Perfect. What was it called? The greenhouse? Get your weed, get your chicken. I
1: think it was called the greenhouse, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. It's old school. Oh. I know because I drove by there oh. a couple times.
0: It's old school. <laughs> well, by Panorama.
1: By the theater. Alright.
0: I mean, when, I believe you. Once you
1: hit Van Nuys and you pass the theater, then that's when you...
0: I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know if I've seen it there or not.
1: It might be. It. It's a little plaza. You know plaza. what? No,
0: I think you're right. I know it's what like you're talking about. It's a
1: small plaza in the corner.
0: Is it by the bread?
1: Um, I think the street is another name with a V on it. Like, uh... Shit.
0: I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name. I think it's Valero. Is it?
1: I think the street name is Valero.
0: Okay, well, I believe you. But, aside from that, thank you for listening. Uh, Share this story with your friends. And if you're interested in seeing that article, to reread it again... It's up there.
1: Yeah, give it a. <clears throat> check it out for sure. Indeed. And, uh. No one. Um, the street I'm thinking about is Sepulveda. Oh. Which I don't think it's uh, the place that I'm thinking about. No, it's not. No? No, it's not.
0: Oh, never mind.
1: Um, I think it is closer to the courthouse, though, but it's not the one little pause I was thinking about.
0: That's okay. Well, any of those locations, again, if you're nearby it or if you want to venture out and try some new dish. They have, like, shawarma plates, too. Those are bomb.
1: Shit, I have to try it out now, I guess. Oh, man. I don't like okay. garlic, but I'll try that garlic piece.
0: Oh, it's good. It's real good. I get, they get make enough like garlic just and... being oh. it to you.
1: Wow. Because you're my piece of garlic. Thanks a lot.
0: But imagine going through 1,500 pounds of, like, Garlic every week? That's a lot of garlic.
1: You're gonna go home smelling like
0: maybe not. Not always. Oh, well, maybe. Not always. Well you wanna take us into the AOK? I think I've talked enough.
1: Sure. Let's do a oh sorry, there was a mosquito that flew right by my face. <laughs> so the act of kindness of the week mm-hmm. is from who else Good News Network. Why I'm you gotta not, say it like that? Because they don't even acknowledge us. <laughs> and they, I know they don't listen to us, but
0: so they, they, how do they? How do you, you want them to you acknowledge know us what? if they I don't know, listen
1: to I, us? Know, I know. I'm joking.
0: Qué terrible!
1: What? What? So the headline reads: Nine-year-old and friends have raised one hundred thousand dollars for African-American businesses selling homemade bracelets.
0: Wow, hundred thousand! A
1: hundred thousand!
0: That's no joke.
1: And that was on june twenty third, so who knows how Holy much it is now? Shit! So some unlikely heroes in Minneapolis have raised one hundred thousand dollars to support black owned businesses and neighborhoods, and they're only nine years old. It all started one day when Cameron Johnson and five of her friends were bored. So in order to have a little bit of fun, they had the bright idea to sell some bracelets. Rather than just keep the money for themselves, Cameron's mom suggested it would be nice to do something positive for others, and the kids agreed. Cameron and Friends, Bracelets for Unity and Justice was born.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: The kiddos... I don't know why they put kiddos. Why don't just put the kids? The kiddos hope to make a small impact with their enterprise but since may 30th these altruistic children have managed to raise almost one hundred thousand dollars uh just in time for father's days wait okay so it was a quote taken before too just in time for father's day in the u.s camera's dad was super proud Quote, she made over $800 the first day. She, was, she has blisters on her fingers, and she's been working hard. Small business owners in Minneapolis... Sorry, this thing just loaded really weird. Small business owners in Minneapolis have been hit hard in recent months. First, the coronavirus pandemic shut them down for more than a month. Then... Violence following the death of George Floyd resulted in damage and looting. The money raised by Cameron and her friends will deliver welcome aid to those trying to get back on their feet. Even though the braces cost five dollars, people have paid twenty, fifty, even one hundred dollars to support the cause. In addition to selling the braces, did I say addition correctly? In addition. You did now. Yeah, I know, and then I said sealing instead of selling. (laughs) In addition to selling bracelets, each woven with different colors, they have collected online donations on a GoFundMe campaign that has tallied $46,000. A portion of the money raised will go towards providing food and household supplies to those in need. Beneficiaries include the Sanctuary Covenant Church's food drive and the Kyle Rudolph food and supply drive. What Ron is most proud of, though, lies beyond the world of good his daughter and her friends have done for local businesses and charities. They've managed to get people talking about things that matter. It just goes to show you that, even in times of adversary, adversi- uh, adversity, we can all make an impact and do our part to create a better world. And children can be the exceptional example.
0: Exactly. They are our future, and they are being taught to stand up to these things that are happening right now. And you know what I mean? They're being taught, like, equality matters.
1: Yeah and it should have been like that from the beginning In the
0: beginning absolutely but it's just It's unfortunate It's unfortunate that In this day and age we're still Going through this And honestly I don't know I I hope this all Changes for the better I read this somewhere where it was like Probably was on Instagram But it was like 2020 instead of Like um instead of like wishing to change it or being upset about the fact that it's you know gone to shit maybe this is the change that we needed to
1: yeah maybe this was a better not better but this was no
0: absolutely it's the it's the it's the kickstart that we needed to start making these changes
1: yeah some people say it's a shitty year but some people say this was the year that helped change or help start a change
0: absolutely um as podcasters we do have a platform to speak about these things and we stand in solidarity with the black community. Um we stand with the black community and support their fight for justice for the end of racism and that exists throughout our society. Just in the recent months we've noticed um we've witnessed many Unfortunate killings by law enforcement. Yeah. and
1: It's... It's not... It's, it's something it's that should have happened. It's, it's,
0: it's tragic and it's horrific, but it's, this isn't... This isn't anything that's recent or new. This is... It has been
1: going on for so long and...
0: Way too long and it's time for a change.
1: It was, should have been time a long time ago, but... Yeah, absolutely. It's just... Yeah, it's... I don't even have words for it. You know, us as me and you as minorities also. Yeah. Not to take uh, away anything no from no the black not at all because I wouldn't like, know
0: anything about.
1: Yeah, we don't know anything, anything that at all about having to be scared at a routine traffic stop or some kind of you or know just walking or just on the walking street, on the damn anything. street. It's just it's time for a change, and we all have to do our part.
0: Exactly. So do your part and make your voice be heard.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's uh, do what we have to do. Let's help out in any way we can. Um, right now, I think the, not right now, but like maybe one of the good ways to help out right now is help black businesses, black yes, owned businesses.
0: Absolutely. Especially as everything is starting to open up.
1: Yeah. So
0: search, do your research, see what businesses around you are black owned and support them and look into the black lives matter movement and if you want to make a donation i know you can make a donation through there or find a different platform that you're comfortable with making a donation through that supports this change
1: yeah you gotta start thinking differently we're not a. Uh... yeah come on just
0: it's 2020 let's
1: We've had all this Make time that. to change things. and Absolutely. We haven't, so let's start doing it now.
0: Indeed. On that note, thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. Sorry it was such a long episode, but it was definitely much needed. And uh, be sure to join us for our beer Um this coming week. <laughs> I'm for not going to give a date because... <laughs>
1: At the end of the week is. Just
0: you—you'll see it. You'll see it. <laughs> just make you'll sure you see it there. follow, like, and subscribe as usual, and give us a review if you want. If not, that's cool too. But even if just it's a rate, that's always helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. No 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 no.